What's up? Welcome back to the On The Ball Podcast. I hope y'all are doing well. I hope you're having either a good day, a good night, whatever time it is, wherever y'all are. Now, I'm excited to get into this podcast. I have I have a couple of really exciting topics, but to start off, uh, I'm going to be talking about the Russell Wilson contract. So, yesterday, Russell Wilson got paid. Um, he got extended. He gave himself, he, he basically gave the Seahawks until midnight last night to get the contract signed, to get the extension done. Um, and the extension that he got was a four-year, $140 million extension with $107 million guaranteed. That's a really big contract. It makes him the highest-paid player in the NFL. Um, based on per-yearly average, I know, uh, per annual salary, I know that. I know he leads the league in that. Um, I don't know about the total, um, the total contract, the, all the money he's, uh, he's going to get paid. Um, I would guess, I would assume that he's leading the league in that, but I have no idea. And I want to talk about, is it worth, like, is, is he worth it? Does Russell Wilson deserve this contract? My answer is yes, easily, easily. Russell Wilson definitely d- deserves this contract. He has played in two Super Bowls. The first Super Bowl he ever played in, he won. Um, the Seahawks beat the Broncos. He was paid less than the long snapper. He was paid almost $100,000 less than the long snapper. Wasn't even making a million dollars. I mean, that is crazy. And he won the Seahawks the Super Bowl. Now, obviously, he had help from a really great defense. It wasn't just him. But, I mean, he was making less than a million dollars, and he helped the Seahawks win a Super Bowl. That's very, very impressive. Um, and then he went to a second Super Bowl with the Seahawks. Um, then played the New England Patriots. I mean, unfortunately, they, they lost last play of the game on the goal line. Um, they caught a pass play. Uh, the Seahawks coaching staff screwed up, caught a pass play through interception. Not really his fault. It was a great play by Malcolm Butler. Uh, but he's been to two Super Bowls. He's had a ton of success in the playoffs. He's done a ton in the past few years. He's had a ton of success with not a lot. Last year, he... I mean, the offense was not very good in Seattle. He didn't have a great run game. Um, he didn't have a great offensive line. They've struggled with that for a few years. And they were still able to make the playoffs. I mean, obviously, they, they lost to the Cowboys in the playoffs. But just getting to that point is super impressive. There's a few quarterbacks who have the talent and the skill set to lead teams who are very, I don't want to say bad, but who aren't built to win, to make the playoffs and take them to the playoffs. And Rodgers is a great example of this. He is able to, I mean, all of Green Bay's success, all of the Green Bay Packers' success is basically because of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Rodgers is such a good quarterback that he can take a roster with very little talent and make them a playoff team. I mean, that's that's just what he does. Um, Russell Wilson has been able to do that. And, I mean, it's just so, so impressive what he's been able to do with so little talent around him. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm bashing on his teammates. He does have some good teammates. And if you're in the if you're in the NFL, you're obviously a fantastic 
football player. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm sliding these teammates. I have respect for every professional athlete. Every professional athlete is just a tremendous, is just tremendous at their craft, whatever they do. But he just hasn't had a lot of great pieces around him, like say Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, quarterbacks like that. You know what I mean? Um, and Tom Brady has had great supporting cast throughout his career. Um, and that's something that Russell Wilson has not been a part of. He has not been a part of a team in recent years with a great defense or a great run game or just stuff like that. He doesn't have a, a Rob Gronkowski to help him out on offense. But he still has had a ton of success. So I think he's worth every penny. Now I want to talk about does he deserve to be the highest paid quarterback. Um, this is a really, really interesting topic right here. Does he deserve to be the highest paid quarterback? Now, based off talent, everything, um, I think it's a really tough question to answer because I would say that Tom Brady deserves to be the highest paid quarterback just because of what he's been able to do with the Patriots. He's won six Super Bowls, won multiple MVPs. He's been great. He's took pay cuts in the past few years. I mean, he's been, he's, he's been really, really unselfish. And it's really helped propel the New England into this incredible dynasty. So I would say that I would I would say that it makes most sense for Tom Brady to be the highest paid quarterback. But once we factor in age, what like they can do in the future, their success now, um, factor in Russell Wilson's ability to lead the team without a whole lot around him, without a whole lot of pieces around him. Um, and I'd say yes, he does deserve to be the highest paid quarterback. Um, I'd say he deserves to be higher. He, he does deserve to be paid more than Matt Ryan, who's up there. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I'd say, I'd say he, I, I would make an argument that he does deserve to be paid higher than Aaron Rodgers. Um, Rodgers, with that article coming out recently, bashing him, talking about him, it really just painted him in a, in not a good light, um, in terms of being a good teammate. Um, so I would make the argument that he does deserve to be high, to be paid more than Aaron Rodgers. Um, so my answer to that would be yes, but I think it's very interesting. And I think it really, the answer to this, if I were to give you a definitive answer, it would really be based off of, I would have to know what you're asking for. Are you asking, like, based off talent, their skill set now, their age, does all that factor into it? Because if, 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 if that doesn't, then Tom Brady should be the highest paid quarterback. But if we do factor in all those other um, factors, then obviously I would say yes. Russell Wilson does deserve to be the highest paid quarterback. For his success recently, uh, being able to lead the Seahawks in the playoffs with very limited or very unskilled teammates, to put it nicely. Now let's move on to my second topic, and it is Justin Fields. So he played his first game, um, not really his first official regular season game. He played a, um, in the spring game, a high standard spring game. Um, and that was really his, our first look at him um, as a starting quarterback. Now obviously, I don't want to make too much of a spring game. Obviously, it doesn't really matter that much. But I do want to talk about it because it is our first look at Justin Fields when he is playing, when he has a huge load in a collegiate football game. Even though it may not mean much, or it's not as big as a, or it doesn't hold as much important, important importance, 
I can't speak. Even though it doesn't hold as much importance as a regular season game, I still want to talk about it. Um, and he actually struggled. Uh, he threw, he went, I think he went 3 of 14. Let me link it up. But he actually struggled. He had some nice plays. I mean, this dude's really talented. He had some nice plays. I will admit that. But there were times where he really, really struggled. He wasn't great. And he, there were some times where he was just missing throws or he looked uncomfortable. Uh, but look, there were times where he showed nice mechanics. That's one thing I noticed. He has really, really good mechanics. It's something I like. And it's something that a lot of quarterbacks in this upcoming NFL draft lack. That's a, like, um, terrible mechanics is something that a lot of quarterbacks in this upcoming draft struggle with. They have bad mechanics that either don't put a lot of spin spiral on their throws, which is something that's something Dwayne Haskins struggles with, or they don't step into their throws. Um, a lot of these quarterbacks in this draft class are they use their arm, it's mostly their arm, um, that they use when they're throwing. They don't step into throws, they don't use their lower body to generate um to you like to generate more velocity on throws. Uh but Justin Fields does that. He steps into throws. Um, he's got a nice spiral. So I like his mechanics. That's something that will really help him in the long run. As he becomes more comfortable as a starting quarterback. He's a really good quarterback. Um, and these nice mechanics helped him make some great throws in the Ohio State game. He had a couple. He had like two throws where he threw the ball to the sideline. And these were some really nice throws. They were just excellent. Right on the money. And it, it, when I watched it, I was like, wow, that's really impressive. Um, and, but there were some times where he just, when the when the pocket wasn't clean, he wasn't great. When the pocket is clean, he has a lot of time to make reads and make a decision. He is spectacular. Fields is truly, like, above the rest. I mean, he is truly just in a class of his own. Um, he's really, really excellent. But... When the pocket isn't great, when he doesn't have a lot of time, when he's under a significant amount of pressure, he's just not great. Um, he struggles. He he fails to maintain um, just to be calm in the pocket. He he tends to scramble, run out of the pocket, and he can get in trouble there. Um, but I did like a little bit of what I saw from Fields. There was some. Some really nice stuff there. He had a 98-yard touchdown pass. And he had over 100 yards. But he threw 3 of 14. Which is not great. I mean, that's he needs to improve on that. But uh, I'm going to give him a pass since it was his first game with that kind of load. So I will give him a pass. He's a first-year starter. Um, I think he's going to be really good. He's got to just be more cool when the pocket collapses. And when things aren't great. He's got to just stay level-headed and not just let that crumble. Like, don't crumble under pressure. I think that's something he needs to work on. But he showcased some nice mechanics. Um, and he, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. I believe that he'll be tremendous at Ohio State. Now I want to talk about Zion. Zion Williamson. He is a forward at Duke. He has finally declared for the NBA draft. It took him forever he waited so long to declare for the NFL draft. It was insane because I'm, I'm sitting here. Trey Jones announced he was returning. 
which he should have. Um, RJ Barrett announced he was going pro, and Cam Reddish announced he was going pro, and Zion had still not committed. Right? He still hadn't announced that he was going to declare for the NFL or for the NBA draft. And I was like, wow. Okay, like, what's this dude doing? Um, obviously, he wasn't going to come back. Even though Duke fans on Instagram and Twitter were like, were holding on to this hope that he was coming back for some reason. He ain't coming back. He's going to sign, like, an over $100 million shoe deal in the NBA as a rookie. And he's going to be spectacular in the NBA. He's going to make millions of dollars in his career, like hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, this dude is fantastic. There was no reason for him to come back. No reason at all. Now I want to talk about, is he the, who is he the best prospect since? This has been talked about a lot. Um, some people say he's the best prospect since AD, since Anthony Davis. Um, some say he is the best prospect since LeBron James. Um, some people say that he is the best NBA prospect of all time. Now that I disagree with. I think there. I think LeBron was a better NBA prospect. I think AD was up there. Uh, but I don't know if he was the best NBA prospect of all time. I think it's a little bit of a reach. There's some things in his game that he does need to work on. Um, all of it really is offensively. He just needs to. Um, he's more of an inside scorer. He doesn't shoot the ball a whole lot. Um, now, a lot of people, like, take for instance, Ball Don't Stop. Ball Don't Stop is, I guess it's a company. Um, and the man, the man who runs it is a personal trainer. Um, he's done stuff with athletes, like NBA players. Um, he has a pro-am tournament that Jamal Crawford has played in. This dude, this dude is really knowledgeable about the game of basketball. He knows what he's talking about. He's really smart. I respect his opinions, but there's some times where he can go a little crazy. One of the things he loves to bring up all the time is the eye test and being skilled. He puts a little too much emphasis on having a whole lot of skill, which and obviously you need to be skilled to be an NBA, but this is what I'm talking about. He calls Kobe Bryant the best NBA, play, NBA player ever, and he says that there's a difference between best ever, like most skilled, and the greatest ever. Totally agree. But then he uses that and uses Kobe Bryant's ability. Like, he, he's, he loves Kobe Bryant's offensive skill set, his ability to pull up from mid-range, shoot off the dribble, shoot the three ball. Um, he has counters for a lot of defensive tactics. I mean, he does a lot of great things offensively, um, and he loves that. I love it, too. I think it's a great part of Kobe's game. But then he goes and bashes Zion Williamson because Zion Williamson hasn't shown in college the ability to do that as often. He's shown it a few times, but he doesn't have to. Why should Zion Williamson shoot outside of the paint? I want someone to tell me. Explain to me why Zion Williamson should have ever shot outside of the paint at Duke this season. Why should he have? He's six seven. Six 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 seven, close to six eight maybe, um, max six eight. He's around two eighty, um, and he was dominant. He was a dominant force offensively, going into the paint, scoring at the rim. He was dominant. 
No one can stop him. No one can guard Zion Williamson in college. No one could bump him defensively, force him to, or like force him to stop driving. No one can do that, really. No one can do that. The only, actually, the only time that ever happened was in the first half of the North Carolina Duke game in the ACC tournament. And even then, Zion wrecked North Carolina in the second half and had 30 points. So, not a whole, there's like very limited pe- amount of people that can stop him in college. Um, I mean, it, it would be, you could count the number of people on one hand who can stop Zion and keep him from just steamrolling into the paint. And so, he doesn't need to showcase his skills in college because no one can stop him. That's an issue I have with a lot of people. A lot, the one big um, kind of black dot, one kind of smudge on Zion's, Zion Williamson's game is that he's not great offensively, he's not a good shooter, um, he can't create his own shot, which is all absolute BS. Zion Williamson is a okay shooter. He shoots around 30, 35%, let me look, in college. He doesn't shoot that often, though. He, he has a great shot selection. That's one thing that really impresses me about Zion. Tremendous shot selection. That's something that RJ Barrett kind of struggled with early on, like in the clutch in the final minutes. He would try to play hero ball, um, and it really cost them some games. It costed Duke against Gonzaga early on in the season at the Maui tournament. Um, but Zion doesn't really ever take unnecessary shots. And it's really impressive that a guy as young as Zion is able to do that. Is able to know when to take his shots outside the paint. Know when to shoot threes. He doesn't do it often, but he does a pretty good job. He shoots the ball pretty well when he does shoot threes. He shoots a point for he shoots about 33.8% from three, nearly 34%, which is fine. That's really good for a guy his size. For a guy who's going to play probably power forward, small forward in the NBA, who's not a great shooter. That's a really good percentage to shoot from three. So, it's not like this dude can't shoot the ball. Um, it's not like he's Russell Westbrook taking terrible shots. He can shoot the ball. He just doesn't need to that often. Um, but when he does, I mean, he, he's not bad. And, his, and one thing, him creating his own shot, I want to talk about that. There was a play early on this season. It was the first game against Kentucky against Kentucky, where he does a move on Kentucky's big man, gets wide open, he does a little hezzy, and then does a little sidestep to the right for a mid-range, and it was beautiful, and it was insanely impressive. But you know what happens to that play? It never gets brought up, because no one takes the time to look at Zion Williamson's film. Everyone on Instagram and Twitter wants to bash Zion Williamson for not having any offensive skills when he freaking is skilled offensively. Watch him play. You've got to examine his film. He has shown the ability to create his own shot at times. He just doesn't have to because no one can guard him in college basketball. Now when he moves up into the NBA and he's playing against better defenders, better athletes, athlete, people that are close to the same athlete, who have almost the same as athleticism, same level of athleticism as as Zion, he'll um, he'll like build his offensive skill set. He'll develop his 
offensive skill set. So, like, I don't understand the big issue in this. He's not going to not get better in the NBA. He'll get better. Like, Jesus Christ. People, get a grip. Like, do y'all not know what y'all are talking about? Now, um, I would say that he is the best NBA prospect since LeBron. That's that's what I would say. Um, I think he's the best prospect since LeBron. Great defensively. His his overall IQ, basketball IQ, is through the roof. This dude is insanely smart on the basketball court. But defensively, I bro, this dude is so good defensively. I don't know if I've ever seen a better defender than him. Um, he does a great job roaming. He's a great shot blocker. Um, he's he has such a high defensive IQ. He's great in passing lanes. Um, that's something he does very, very, very well. Um, he's great offensively. He can score in the post. He can play on the outside. He can play like a perimeter player, and he can play outside. So he's got he, he's versatile. He can play outside and inside, which is something I really like. Um, he does need to work on some post moves. Getting having better footwork in the post. Uh, really developing his outside game, being able to dribble and pull up. I think if he adds that to his arsenal, um, and it can be, and he can rely on that a little bit more, he'll be a lethal, and he could be. He, I think he could be the greatest basketball player of all time. That's how good I think Zion is. I'm not saying he is. So calm down. Don't get don't get too riled up. Don't get get too upset. I think he has the potential to be the greatest player of all time with his skill set, what he's able to do on both sides of the ball. Um, all he's got to do really is develop offensively, um, and then just like bro, his athleticism, his size, his just total game. He's going to be fantastic in the NBA. Now I want to talk about who is the best fit for Zion. I think there are really two teams that are just really, really good fits for Zion Williamson. That is the Atlanta Hawks and the Dallas Mavericks. And it's interesting because the Hawks actually get the Dallas Mavericks pick if it falls outside of the top five. So this will be interesting to see how the lottery ends up, how like how the ping pong balls um, end up, who gets what pick. That'll be really interesting to see. Uh, but let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks first. Actually, no, 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 no. Let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks first, because I, I have a lot to say about the Mavericks. I think I think that team's really interesting with Zion. With the Atlanta Hawks, um, and before I talk about this, here's what I need from a team um, in order to be considered a good fit for Zion. I think you have to have a really good perimeter, perimeter player to pair up with Zion. Uh, I think if Zion is your only really... Um, reliable perimeter player. I think he's going to be in trouble because he's not a great shooter. I don't think you can rely on him from to score outside the paint or to score from deep um, for the total for the total 48 minute uh, court. I don't think you can really rely on Zion from outside the paint for the total 48 minutes of a game uh, for all four quarters. I don't know if he can if he's really reliable from outside the paint. That's one question I have. So I think you have to pair him up with someone who is great on the perimeter, who can score, who's a versatile scorer, can, can score from the outside to help him out. Um, and then I also think you need a big man. Um, now, this big, I think you really, it would help if this big man can shoot the ball. Um, I don't need this guy to be clogging up the paint with Zion. 
Um, and Zion needs his space. He needs to have to be with a team who's gonna have enough spacing to where he can really, really dominate and just steamroll into the paint. Um, he needs to have that ability, and he needs to have the ability to score from the outside, shoot the ball when um, he is caught on. If he's wide open, he needs that. And so I think pairing him with like a stretch forward type of guy, a big man who can shoot, is really would be really, really nice and would be wonderful. I also think pairing him with another guy who's a shooter would also help. Um, just surrounding Zion with some shooters would just be tremendous. Allowing him, uh, I mean, because like, if you, can, if you can't stop him, and then you have to start double teaming him, and he's got shooters around him, I mean, it might be a GG. Um, that's all I'm saying. I mean, this dude is, I mean, it will be really hard to stop whatever team he's on if that turns out to be the case. If he's in that kind of situation. Now, with the Hawks, they have that perimeter player in Trey Young. And with Trey Young being as good of a passer and as good of a scorer as he is, he's such a lethal um, weapon as as a passer and as a scorer. So it's just, he would be a tremendous fit with Zion. Um, like, imagine Zion and Trey Young in the pick and roll. Oh my god. Like, imagine Trey Young. Uh, Zion Williamson and John Collins. Alley oop, uh, bro. Alley oops everywhere. Like, oh my God. Like, we're going to need a alley oop counter in the bottom right corner of the screen every time the Hawks are on TV. It's going to be insane. It'll be like insanely fun to watch them play. But I love Trey Young and Zion Williamson together. I think they fit together beautifully. Um, and it really, what really elevates. Um, the Hawks over the rest of teams is Trey Young's willingness as a passer. He's a tremendous passer. He's already one of the best passers in the NBA. Um, he's a great passer. He's, uh, I mean, he's averaging close to seven assists per game. No, actually, he was averaging nine assists a game, was he not? I believe he was averaging um, nine assists per game. And because I, I believe Luka Doncic was pretty close to him in terms of assists, I think uh, Luka Doncic had about seven assists. Okay, Trey Young had eight assists per game, so he's a willing passer. Um, and I think pairing him with Zion, um, the PNR pick and rolls are going to be deadly. Um, alley oops are going to be insane. It'll be really fun. The only question I have with the Hawks being a really good fit with Zion is John Collins. I don't know how they fit together, Zion and Collins, because um, I'm afraid that Collins will clog the paint and won't give Zion enough space. But Collins is a decent shooter. He's a good shooter. He can shoot the ball. It's not like he would be just... It's not like he is just a terrible shooter like Ben Simmons or like Rudy Gobert. No, he's not, he's not that type of player. Um, he's not Draymond Green. He can shoot the ball. So I don't think that he is a terrible fit. I just think the the Mavericks and their personnel is just a better fit than Atlanta. Um, but I love Atlanta's fit. Because just, just imagine Trey Young, um, Kevin Herter, Zion, Collins, and like Torian Prince or Baysmore. I mean, that's really good. You got Herter who can shoot. Trey Young can shoot the ball. Um, Collins can shoot the ball. But he's also a great rebounder. Um, he needs to work defensively. If he can improve defensively, this team would be at. I think they could make the playoffs next season with Zion on their roster.
and I think they are the second best fit for Zion. Now let's move on to the absolute best fit for Zion Williamson, and that is the Dallas Mavericks. So I talked about some things that I wanted in a team to consider them a great fit for Zion. I said they need a perimeter player, and they need a big man who can uh, be versatile, who can shoot the ball as well as score inside. Uh, and Dallas hit both, like, they just hit the nail on the head. Um, Luka Doncic isn't there. He is a great scorer. One thing, I like Trey Young. I like the, I like pairing Trey Young with Zion better than Luka because Trey Young is a willing passer and is a better passer than Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic, I'm not saying he's a, he's not a willing passer. Luka Doncic is a decent passer, but he is nowhere near on the level that Trey Young is in terms of his passing, his passing ability. Um, he's more of a scorer. He's kind of like James Harden. He can score in isolation. Um, but he's a great perimeter player. And he will um, support Zion on the offensive end as a scorer. And I think he, he pairing up him and Zion can be really deadly on the offensive side of the basketball. But then you pair him up with Chris Dapps Porzingis. Now, we don't know how Chris Dapps is going to be how he's going to play. Is he going to be the same way after tearing an ACL? Because with those injuries, you never know. It'll be interesting to see. But Chris Porzingis is a really good shooter. He can shoot the ball from three. Um, he's just a really great center. I think him and Zion are a great fit together. I don't think Chris Dapps is going to clog the paint. I don't want Chris Dapps to turn into a spot-up shooter. I still want him to be uh, around the basket a majority of the time. But I do like his versatility and how that fits in with Zion's game. Now, uh, I know the Mavericks have Tim Hardaway Jr., who's a shooter, who will be really nice. They have some nice talent there. Uh, but I love just, like, the firepower. Like, the total uh, the total talent in Dallas with Zion, Doncic, and Porzingis, it, it, that's just so much more fire firepower than the Atlanta Hawks would have with Zion. Um, and I think it, that team would just be spectacular. They would make the playoffs, in my opinion. I think the Dallas Mavericks could be like a sixth through eighth seed. I think they could be in the bottom of the um, bottom half of the West in terms of playoff teams. And I like them. I like the fit. I think it's just a better fit with Porzingis and Zion. And that really is what has it, that really to me is what elevates the Dallas Mavericks ahead of Atlanta in terms of being a really good fit for Zion. Now. Let's move on to my next topic. This is one that I'm really excited about, and it will trigger a lot of people. Virginia's run in the tournament is overrated. Now, I don't mean just this year's run. I mean the comeback story of losing to a 16 seed, coming back winning the Natty. I think, I believe that that whole storyline, that narrative is overrated. Is it impressive? Yes. It's impressive to lose to a 16 seed and then be able to come back, be mentally stable, not just be crushed mentally and be able to make a run like that to win the championship. It's impressive, but it's not, it's a little overrated because, listen, Virginia was a great team this year. They were a number one seed two years in a row, a number one seed. They were the number two one seed. I think they were the second number one seed. 
they were literally the second best team in the entire tournament. They were they were like expected to get into the final four this year. That's one issue I have. Let's talk about their opponents. They did not have to play an opponent that was higher than a three seed. Are you kidding me? I mean, their region was so easy, so freaking easy. I mean, Duke had to go through Michigan State. Um, and obviously they weren't able to meet them, but like they had Michigan State. They had some tough teams in their region. Gonzaga, I mean, Gonzaga had an insane region. They had Texas Tech, Michigan, Florida State. Like, oh my God, Buffalo was a solid team. Obviously they lost to Texas Tech, but Buffalo was a nice squad. Um, North Carolina had a tough region. They had Auburn. Kentucky, Houston, like, golly, that's a tough, that's a tough region as well, Gonzaga got screwed, they had an insanely tough region, but Virginia, like, the best team they played was Texas Tech or Auburn, in my opinion, it was Auburn, I think Auburn was a better team than Texas Tech this year, just what they were able to do offensively, just their shooting was insane, um, I think they were more dangerous than Texas Tech. But I, but those were obviously the two best teams they played. But it's a three and a five seed. So if they would have played, say, Kentucky or North Carolina in the Final Four, beat them, and then had to beat, like, say, Duke, I think my opinion would totally change. But they didn't even have to play a two seed. Like, they didn't even have to play a team that was higher than a number three seed. So that's just my opinion. I think it's a little overrated. I think people or mainly the media, ESPN, are overrating this and hyping up this comeback by Virginia and acting like it's so just, like, unexpected when, in reality, Virginia was the number two overall, number one seed this season. They were expected to be in the hunt for the national championship. They were expected to be in the Final Four. So I just don't... I don't understand... Sorry. I don't understand why it's being hyped up as some insane accomplishment that is just, like, otherworldly. I think it was expected. Although it was impressive, I think it was expected and that people should not be hyping up a number one seed for beating um, three seeds and lower. That's just my opinion. However, I do want to say congrats to Virginia. They were an excellent team. I loved watching them this season. It was a phenomenal national championship game. Respect to them. Respect to their coach, Bennett. I like Bennett. Tony Bennett's a really good coach. I like him. And all, I just want to wish good luck to them going forth. I think their season was tremendous and very impressive. It's just my opinion that their come that their comeback, their turnaround is being overhyped. Now, let me take a break for a minute, and I will be right back with y'all. I'm going to use the bathroom and get some food, and I will be right back. Alright, I am back. Now, let's get into our final topic of the day. And I want to talk about, um, this is something I came up with. It's really unique, and I want to come up with the best roster for today's game in the NBA. So, there, the, the formula now for having a successful team um, in basketball is really just having a lot of shooters um, and shooting a ton of threes. That's something that Auburn utilized this season they had a bunch of shooters like Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, like everyone on their team could shoot the ball and they were really good defensively and 
having the shooting ability, having guys who can shoot wide open threes and contested threes, having versatility from the three-point line, and just being really a great shooting team has helped Auburn. It almost put them into the Final Four, or almost put them into the National Championship game. Um, and the Warriors are a great three-point shooting team. The Rockets last season were tremendous from three. They shot a ton of threes, and it led them to winning a whole bunch of games. I think they won. They won. They won about 60 plus games last season, I believe. Uh, and now the Bucks have really utilized that formula and created their roster to fit that formula. They have Giannis, who is a uh, just athletic freak. No one can guard him, but they have surrounded him by really good shooters like Chris Middleton, Brick Lopez, who is a center. He's become such a good three-point shooter and has made them really, really dangerous this season. And I want to kind of create my own roster and give them a salary cap. And I have it created already. I want to tell y'all. So, I based my salary cap off the Warriors' salary cap, which is their like their total salary this season was 148 million dollars. And I wanted to that would be my salary cap for this team. So all I have a 10 man rotation, and these 10 guys together, their salary cap must be like it cannot go over 148 million dollars. Alright, so that's what I had everything listed at. I, I was going to use the Raptors salary cap, but when I created this team, um, just trying to get to the team that I wanted to, to build, I, I had to use the Warriors. Um, and this team's salary cap is only $144 million. So it's $4 million less than the Warriors. But, you know, without wasting any time, let's get into it. My starting point guard, uh, and for this position, I wanted a really good shooter. And a good passer. I wanted somebody who can run an offense. Who is going to be a really good passer. Who I can use to come off screen. Stuff like that. But he's got to be a really good shooter. Uh, and my. Uh, I had two guys that I was looking at for my starting point guard. Steph Curry. Trae Young. They both feel. They both fit the mold for this. They both feel. Um, they like answer. Or they like they check every box I was looking for. For my starting point guard. Um, I decided to go with Steph Curry. His, he, um, his annual salary is $44 million per season, um, which is really, really expensive. But his shooting ability, I cannot pass that up. His ability to shoot from deep, um, I mean, he just, he opens up so much space. The spacing when he's on the court is so great because defenses have to respect him. As soon as he crosses half court, I had to have him on this team. Um, it's expensive, but it's worth it. Another, I also considered putting Trey Young in this spot, um, but I don't trust Trey Young enough as a shooter yet. I don't think he's as lethal from behind the three-point line as Steph Curry. Um, I also would have considered Damian Lillard. I think Lillard would be a good option here, but Steph Curry and Trey Young are both better passers than Lillard, so I went with Steph Curry. At shooting guard, starting shooting guard, I have Clay Thompson. He fits in perfectly with, with Steph Curry. Um, they're both on the Warriors. They're fantastic shooters. Clay Thompson's also a great defender. And so with his ability to defend, that makes his $32.7 million um, annual salary worth it. I mean, I, I, will, I will just totally pay that to have you on my team. Pair him with Steph Curry, and we have a deadly duo in our backcourt. 
um, with just lethal shooting. Like, no one's going to be able to guard them too. Now, the small forward position. Right here, I wanted a guy who could shoot, but he could also be a versatile scorer, um, can score off the dribble, and really, if we're not hitting shots, I can give this guy the ball, and I can trust him to take over offensively and kind of be like a guy like Durant, LeBron, like take over like that and score from all over the place and just really carry our team when needed. Um, and who I have in this position is Luka Doncic. I almost wanted to put Chris Middleton here, but Luka Doncic fits what I want. He, like, checks more boxes. Um, Chris Middleton can't really create his own shot as well as Luka Doncic can. I don't really know if Chris Middleton can carry an offense. He's more of a shooter, um, so I went with Luka Doncic. He's, he's making $6.5 million per year on his rookie deal. So I like that he's a cheap option, but he, he has a lot of talent. He's a great player. Luka Doncic is my starting small forward. Now, in the power forward position, I decided that I wanted a shooter, but also a really good rebounder. Um, someone that I could put out on the three-point line like Kevin Love, but someone I could also trust and rely on to grab the rebounds. And for this uh, starting spot, I used, I put a cheap guy, and that guy is Laurie Markkinen. I really like Markkinen. He's a really good shooter. Um, he's a second-year player. He's only getting paid around $4 million, so I really like him. He's a cheap option, but I don't think, I, I really like what he brings to our team in terms of shooting and being able to spread the floor. Now, at my center position. Now, this guy isn't really a center. He's not a center in real life. Um, and I'm not going to utilize, I wouldn't utilize him as a center on this team. But this guy is so dominant. And he's so good defensively. He can do a lot of things. He could even rebound, help me in rebounding. Um, and it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo is only getting paid around $24 million per year. Which I really like. That's really, really cheap. I mean, that is not even close to the max. He could be getting, um, he's a great defender. I like what I can do with him. Um, if I had, if another player I looked at putting here was Rudy Gobert, but I really like what Giannis is able to do on both sides of the floor, and I think I can utilize him, um, better than I could Rudy Gobert. Um, and Gobert, Gobert was cheaper, but I really, I just love Giannis. Giannis has the height, um, the strength, the athleticism. I like what he can do defensively and offensively. He's just a better all-around player than Rudy Gobert. So I decided to go with Giannis here. And I think that this lineup is really interesting. Obviously, Giannis is not going to be shooting the ball. But I can use him in like a five-out offense. Yeah, like just imagine him with all these shooters. It would be really insane. Um, so I really like that lineup. Defensively, it's really good with Giannis and Clay Thompson. They got two really good defenders. Steph Curry, obviously not a great defender. Um, but I got two really good rebounders in marketing and Giannis. I think it's a really good team. Um, now, Gobert might be a better fit. Uh, but I just, I think Giannis just makes his team even, even more of a matchup nightmare for teams. And I love that starting five. That would be my personal starting five if I could create any team I wanted under a specific salary cap. Now let's move on to the bench. Now I have five guys on my bench 
which would then be followed by, like, three just minimum guys, like $500,000 contract guys, who would just sit on the bench and never play. My important guard coming off the bench is Trey Young. His ability to pass the ball um, is just spectacular. I love it. And he he is perfect for this offense. He can run fast. Um, and this team would be, it would have a fast-paced offense. And so I really like Trey Young coming off the bench. I think he's spectacular. He's a really good shooter. Struggled it early on this season, but he got a lot better. He's a really good scorer, versatile scorer. He can score from the inside and out. He's a great passer. So if we um, want to go and kind of run a little a more of a half-court offense, we can use some half-court sets with Trey Young coming off the bench. Um, but he can also run fast, which is something I would like to do with this team. Now, second coming off the bench is Donovan Mitchell. I wanted the guy coming off the bench that could... Uh, kind of fill in the same role that Luka Doncic has, which is being a scorer late, um, carrying the team offensively. Donovan Mitchell fills that role. He can do that. He's athletic. He's not as great of a shooter um, as some of the other guys on this team, but he and Luka are my guys, and I can rely on late in games. If I need to get buckets, if our shots are not falling, I can go to them and trust them to get a bucket. And Donovan Mitchell's only getting paid like $3.6 million, so he's a really cheap option. Now, my uh, small forward coming off the bench is Chris Middleton. So, I can put him on the court with Steph, Clay, and Markkinen, um, and we are just going to be an insane three-point shooting team. Like, bombs away, we're shooting, oh, like, 43s a game. Like, we are going to be launching threes. It's going to be insane. Uh, I like Chris Middleton coming off the bench. Him and Giannis are a good fit in Milwaukee. So I, I was, I'm thinking if I can pair him with Giannis, um, there's a lot of lineups I can utilize with Middleton coming off the bench, and he provides a lot of shooting. Him and Trey Young can play well together, but I think he just he just adds even more three-point shooting to this team. Now, my power forward coming off the bench is Jerry Jackson Jr. only getting paid just under $6 million at around $5.9 million a year. Uh, I like that. A really cheap option. Um, he's just a tremendous player. And he's a really good defender. He can even shoot the ball pretty well. Um, obviously, he's not as lethal as some of the other guys on his team. I don't think he's as good of a shooter as Laurie Markman, but I can trust him to shoot the flea ball. He's a great defender. He's really young, got a lot of potential. Um, and like I said, he's a really cheap option at $5.9 million. Now, my center coming off the bench, Brooke Lopez. Brooke is like, for f he's, his annual salary is $3.4 million, like $3.38 million a year. That's insane. Really nice. He has become a tremendous three-point shooter this year all of a sudden. Um, so I really like him. Just imagine this lineup. Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, Chris Middleton, Laurie Markkinen, Brooke Lopez. That is my three-point shooting lineup. That is my five-out offense. And that is my we are running up and down the court and only shooting threes. And we are destroying a team for, like, six minutes. Like, that. that's what this – that, that, like, I can just – oh, my goodness. I might have an orgasm thinking about that, that lineup. That would be insane. But Lopez is also a really good rebounder, so I can trust him to get rebounders. Um, and he, he's really versatile. I can trust him on the 40-point line. I can trust him inside. 
a great player, and for $3.38 million, yes, please, come join my squad. Now, that's my team. I do think there are some changes that can be made. Um, there are some, some players you can add to this team that might even be better fits than this team. Um, might make this team even better. But this is what my roster will be. This is it for the podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode, and I will see y'all next time. Peace. Mm-hmm.